Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Galatians chapter number three. And uh, I I have wrestled with this for months. Because I wanted to make sure that it was the right time to talk about this. And uh, well, let, let me read the text to you and then, then I'll get a little bit more into that. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, verse number 28, records these words. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This topic is one of the most difficult topics to talk about. It shouldn't be, but it is. And uh, my goal is not to come in and offend you. That's, that's not my goal. Um, if we get offended, that's something to pay attention to. Because when we get offended at something, it means it has touched something in us that we probably didn't even recognize was there. It's not my goal to make you uncomfortable. That's not what I'm trying to achieve. But if it makes you uncomfortable, that's something to pay attention to. And like I said, I've been, I've been reading in this direction. I've been studying in this direction. I've been grappling with these ideas for, for months And in the aftermath of Ahmaud Arbery, the young man that was shot in Georgia, and I've talked to people, they say, I just can't even watch the video. No, you need to watch it. You need to watch it multiple times. But it's disturbing, precisely. That's precisely why you need to watch it. Now, I'm not here to debate details. I'm not here to debate, well, they said this and they said, I'm not here to debate was something, I'm not here to debate any of that. What I know for certain is a young man, a young black man was murdered unjustly. He was 18 years old, I believe, correct? I can tell you without any doubt at all Not a shadow of doubt in my mind. I grew up in one of the most backwards, backwoods, racist communities in the middle of nowhere, northwest Alabama you could possibly grow up in. Okay? I I was born and raised there. To my knowledge, there's never been a minority even live in that town. Ever. Our town had a history of racism. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that as an 18-year-old white kid, if I was running down the street, whether somebody thought I stole something or not, I know for sure I would not have been shot. Okay? It's already getting uncomfortable, ain't it? I'm going to use these terms today, and I don't mean them disrespectfully at all I'm going to use the terms like white people and black people like white church and black church white community and black community I don't mean them in any sort of way other than for whatever reason those are categories that we've created and I'm going to talk about them in that way but my goal is not to offend or make you uncomfortable what I want to do by the help of God I want to cast a vision For this church 
and the church that we can all unite around and rally around. I want to preach on becoming an anti-racist church. Is there anybody with me this morning? Now, I'm going to talk real plain. All right? You already gave in the offering. <laughs> it's not my problem anymore. No. One of the challenges with talking about race, specifically amongst white people and amongst a church that's predominantly white, one of the challenges of talking about race and racism is we have lifted the bar of racist so high that unless you've burned a cross in somebody's yard wearing a hood, well, now that's racist. But I'm not racist. I got a black friend. <laughs> Y'all going to leave me out here by myself? <laughs> I, I'm glad you got a black friend. But we've lifted the bar that high. Well, I didn't do that. I'm not racist. Or we've lifted the bar so high that you're only racist if you use derogatory words in reference to minorities. Well, I don't say that, so I'm not racist. And we end up equating racism with hate. And unless it's hate-filled and hate-motivated, it's not racist. That's why the bar is so high. But in reality, the bar is much, 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 much lower than that. It's challenging to talk to a predominantly white church about race. My, myself included. I is white. Been white my whole life. It's challenging to talk about it. Because by and large, the white community doesn't believe that it's as bad as everybody says it is. And we don't believe it's as bad as everybody says it is, quite frankly, because we've never experienced it. I want you to think about that. That messages, racial prejudice, racial messages that are sent to minority communities in a thousand different ways every single day, you and I have never tasted those for a moment. I've been thinking about over the course of my life, and I, I've come to, to realize I have never in my life been on the receiving end of a racial prejudice of any kind, ever. Half of us can count on one hand how many times we've even been in a room where we were the minority. Where they wouldn't playing our music and wearing our clothes and talking our language. So it's difficult to talk about this, specifically with the white community. Now, when I talk about racism, people say this all the time. This is, I have, I've read... I've, I've read I don't, I, I've read thousands of pages over the last several months on this very topic, primarily from black scholars. And people often say that racism has been around since the beginning of time. That's not true. That's not true. Hate between people groups has, has been around since the beginning of time, but that is different from racism. When I talk about racism, I'm talking about something very specific. That was created for a specific purpose. And it has a particular history behind it. In the academic world, they call it race theory. How these categories even came to be constructed. And one of the most primary forces in America for advancing the cause of racism has been the church. Looking at me funny. It gets way worse than this. I'm still in the introduction. The idea, the concept of racism can be traced back to the 15th century when they started trading slaves. 
and they happen upon a black group of people in Africa and they think, and you should see, I've got some of the journal articles of some of these explorers and how they talk about the, the, the black communities of people that they just found. And they use animalistic, white people, animalistic language. We're so blinded by this that even our own version of Jesus has to be white. The pictures you got of Jesus hanging in your house looks like he's from San Diego, not Israel. Because the real Jesus would look too Muslim for us. Yeah, but the, y'all, but in the words of Facebook, but y'all ain't ready for that conversation yet. <laughs> Am I talking right so far? The journal entries, the very first time they started capturing slaves in the 15th century. One of the primary leaders was a man by the name of Prince Henry. He sent out his crusaders to explore. These crusaders found African people and captured them. Do you know what his crusaders were called? The Order of Christ. They began to enslave people. If I had time, I could walk you through this whole situation. That's in the late 1400s, early 1500s. Take a leap into the 16 and 1700s, and you have Puritan preachers who wrote some of the most popular religious literature of our time. Y'all know the sermon? Everybody knows the sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Y'all know that? Don't read it. It's horrible. That's a Puritan preacher. There was a Puritan preacher by the name of Cotton Mather. I used to read about him when I was a kid. He, in my, he was always built up to me as this tremendous religious figure. He entered Harvard at 12 years old. And part of the entrance exam was you had to be able to read and write Latin and Greek and English. He finished his master's degree from Harvard at 18 years old. This brilliant mind, this Puritan preacher who moved to New England and became one of the most primary voices in leading up to to the awakenings. He had a theology and his theology was that black people have black souls and when they get born again, their soul turns white. That's the tradition. That's our religious tradition. That's our religious history. Jump past that. Jump 150 years past that. And then you have the Civil War. You have Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy. He was a senator, and they were trying to pass a bill to get equal funding for black communities and white communities. And Jefferson Davis stood up on the Senate floor. I've got this quote. I've got, I've got this, this, uh, this entry. You can read about it online. He says, in no way should this government try to create equality for black people and white people. Because the inferiority of the black race has been stamped on them from the beginning by the divine. And then you want to argue about pulling a statue down of this man? You want a young black girl to go to Jefferson Davis Elementary School? I ain't getting no help. Would you want a little Jewish girl to go to Adolf Hitler Middle School? So now we get here. And I'm going to make a statement to you. This is going to offend you and that's going to be okay. It's not my intention. It's really not. I'm going to get to the uniting part. But there is a disease eating away at the soul of our nation and our church. And starting to talk about it is part of the medicine. Having hard conversations is part of the medicine. I'm going to assume that everybody in this room, myself included, has embraced racist ideas and don't even know it. And when I say racist ideas, this is what I mean. 
any value judgment, good or bad, right or wrong, that you make about somebody simply based upon color. All black people can dance. I met some black folk can't dance. All white people are trustworthy. I met a whole lot of white folk. All Hispanics are hard workers. These are things that we say. In 2020, had a friend of mine tell me a story. He was telling me a story about a sermon that he heard a few years ago. This is in the 21st century. And this preacher, this pastor was talking about trusting God. And how in the name of God he came up with this illustration is beyond me. But he said, if you're on the operating table having heart surgery and you come out of anesthesia, would you rather see a white face or a black or brown face? Now, he was trying to talk about trusting God, but he is the proof of how even in Christians, racist ideas get into us in all sorts of ways. I'll tell you, so I grew up in a town called Brilliant. That's the name of the town. Brilliant, Alabama. Cole grew up in Bear Creek, Alabama. My town had about 600 people in it. I went to school with the same group of people from kindergarten until I graduated. To my knowledge, to my knowledge, to this day, there has never been a minority student enter that school. So I grew up in an, in an all-white school. I remember as a kid, I have vivid memories, vivid memories of the Klan being very active in our town. They would stand in front of the grocery store and pass out literature. They would stand at the four-way stop. Y'all don't know what a four-way stop is. But in Brilliant, you say the four-way stop, everybody knows where the four-way stop is. They'd stand at the four-way stop and pass out literature. My stepfather was deeply racist. Deeply racist. I grew up hearing on the regular every kind of derogatory name you could think of to refer to minorities. I didn't realize it at the time. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I was talking to my wife about it. I didn't realize it at the time. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was God. I don't know if it was just secret hidden rebellion, but I never bought into his ideas. And so when he when he was trying to raise us up in this in this manner, which he, 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 he failed. My, my sister's married to a black man, and, and I've never embraced his ideas. I grew up, when he would say these things, I grew up, and I started listening to Snoop <laughs> and Dr. Dre and Bone Thugs in Harmony. Boom, 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 boom. Tell me what you're going to do. <laughs> judgment comes from 11-year-old white kid. My favorite movie was Boys in the Hood. I didn't even know what that movie meant. <laughs> I'm not complaining. So I bought a big, gigantic L.A. Raiders starter jacket. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing at the time other than I guess it was a silent revolt of I think you're foolish for trying to embrace these kinds of ideas that even 11-year-old can have more wisdom than this because racism, you're not born with it. You learn it. You're not born hating. You're not born being afraid. You're not born wanting to separate. It is a learned behavior primarily in this nation. I can say some stuff, man. 
I grew up listening to Blank the Police. I didn't know what that meant, but I sang it. I was My parents weren't Christians. They didn't care. I had family members that were police, and I was like, you better recognize me. He's like, what? 11-year-old, 11-year-old white social justice activist. These ideas get into us in all sorts of ways. And when racism first started, it, it started with this idea. It's real simple. And we've heard this stuff so much in the media that we've become numb to it and we actually resent it, but it's true nonetheless. The fundamental idea of racism was built on this one notion, the superiority of white people. And so whenever you talk to white people about racism, what's their first reaction? Well, black people can be racist too. Right? Right, preacher? Black people can be racist too. Now, I would never in a million years attempt to speak for the black community, ever. But I have, I've had numerous conversations with people in the black community, dear friends of mine, and we've talked about this very issue. And this is what they've communicated to me. I don't know that it is, I don't know that they can speak for their entire community, but this is what's been communicated to me. Anybody of any color, of any race, has the ability to express prejudice towards somebody of another color. But as people groups, this again, this is what's been communicated to me. And and we need to hear it and receive it and let it form us and let it transform us and let it break us and let it change us in the best of ways. But they're communicating to me is if the black community as a community expresses prejudice, it's primarily because of Everything that we've been through. And I look at it this way. If every time I walk in the room, I hit my son, and then the one time I walk in the room and I don't hit him, but I hug him, but he flinches anyway, that's not on him. That's on me. If, I never, if I've never hit my son, but other people have, and then I walk in the room to hug him, and he still flinches, that's still not on him. It's on us. But when it comes to the white community, expressing prejudice toward the black community, it's not because of the past. It's because of ideas of superiority. And that, you can think I'm wrong. That's fine. I'm not. I guarantee you I've read more about this than you have. I guarantee you I've been willing to have conversations about this that some of us won't. I guarantee you I've been willing to look in the mirror and say, God, if there's a drop of... It doesn't mean you're hateful. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you've gotten things imparted into you in a thousand different ways. And we think that as long as we accept Jesus, it fixes racism. It doesn't. Accepting Jesus should fix hate. But it won't fix the way you have been programmed to think for centuries. Can I keep going? It's a self-evident truth. It's not really debatable that 
there is inequality of outcomes amongst different racial groups. That's not debatable. Well, I don't believe that. That's fine. You don't have to believe it. It's still true. The black community, for instance, makes up 13% of the United States population. 13%. The black community owns 2% of the nation's wealth. Now, hang in. I'm going to say something. You with me? You with me? You would think that if the black community makes up 13% of our national population, that they would own approximately somewhere in the ballpark of 13% of the nation's wealth. It's not too far of a stretch, right? The black community makes up 13% of our population. They make up 40% of our prison population. 13% makes up 40%. And then when they get out of prison, we take from them their ability to vote, so now their voice is forever silenced. Because we've built a system. Y'all, y'all ain't ready for that conversation, but it's, here it is. And so what is, let, let, let me keep going. A young black man is 27 times more likely to receive a harsher punishment than a white kid for the same crime. Up until 2010, now I have a history of working with drug addicts. I've worked in two different rehabs over my life. I have talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of drug addicts of every race, every, every race, every walk of life. I have talked to millionaire drug addicts, and I have talked to people that have sold their children for money for drugs. And up until 2010, watch, powder cocaine, powder cocaine, when you talk about cocaine use, has been primarily the drug of choice among the white community. Powder cocaine. You can take powder cocaine and cook it and harden it and make crack cocaine. Right? It's the exact same drug. But crack cocaine among cocaine users is the drug of choice amongst the black community. You with me? Are y'all with me? Up until 2010, thank God, you were given a five-year minimum sentence if you were caught with 500 grams of powder cocaine. The white man's drug. You were given a five-year sentence if you were caught with five grams of crack cocaine. The black man's drug. It's the same drug. But it is a systemic problem that is designed to keep one class under and another class over. Now, watch. I'm going to get into this, and I hope I can say this. I hope I can say this. And you catch it. We believe that racial inequality, we believe it happens like this. Okay? We believe that it starts with either ignorance or hate. That you have ignorant people or hateful people or a unique mixture of both. Okay? And that out of their ignorance and hate... They develop racist ideas. And when I say racist ideas, I mean any value judgment against another group of people based upon race. So out of ignorance or hate, we craft racist ideas. This is how we think it develops. Out of those racist ideas come racist policies. Out of those racist policies comes racial inequality. That's not how it works. That is historically not how it works. It doesn't start with ignorance or hate. It starts with a quest for power. And self-interest. 
And because our ancestors, and even on down to today, we want to protect our self-interest. I had a, a black pastor friend of mine tell me, he said, he said, whenever I've, I've talked about this amongst the white community, I get the sense of, why are you still talking about this? We let you in our schools. We let you have some of our jobs. But don't touch our money. And don't touch our daughters. You with me? It starts with self-interest. It starts with power. It starts with an idea of superiority. It starts with the notion of we have to keep them down lest we, so we can stay up. It starts with power. And out of power, watch, out of a quest for power, out of a quest for creating purposefully inequality, we develop racist policies. And out of those policies, we have to develop some racist ideas to undergird them so they will make sense to people. So this is what we say. 13% of the black community makes up 40% of the prison population. And what do we say? It can't be a problem with the system. So what do we say? Well, they're just more violent. And that is racist. And if you even almost believe that, that is racist. 13% own 2% of the nation's wealth. Well, they just don't work as hard. That is racist. That is a racist idea that has gotten into us that we have to use to make sure our policies stay in place so one group can stay in power and the other group cannot. You know, what's, you know what's really odd about this? What's really odd about this is I really feel like everybody in here, I feel like you're hearing me. I feel like you're with me right now. And you know what's odd about that? Is all I'm doing, I am, I'm doing nothing more except echoing what black voices of leadership have been shouting for decades. But it took a white man to say it to white people. And that is a racist idea that gets into us. I saw somebody on TV the other day talking about Ahmad Arbery. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. I hope I am. And there's video of him walking into a house that's under construction. And they're like, right there. Load up the shotguns. I, li I live in a neighborhood that is right now under construction. It's a brand new neighborhood. There are houses being built around us all the time. The house right next to mine is under construction. Nobody lives there. I don't go look in the windows. I walk through the whole house. I'm like, I wonder what's going on here. Okay. When we were building our house, people did it. And it has never crossed my mind that I might get shot for it. Well, he had a history. You don't know what you're talking That is a racist idea that is in place to undergird a racist policy so one group can stay in power and the other group cannot. So it goes from power, and then in order to keep power, we have to instantiate policy. And in order to make policy make sense, we have to feed our white people racist ideas. And then out of those racist ideas comes the ignorance and the hate. You with me? I remember. I, rem I cannot believe I'm even telling this story. But I guarantee you I'm not the only people in here that, that this happened to. I grew up in an all-white town. right? All-white school. All-white church. I remember, I have vivid memories being in kids' church. And this question being talked about all the time. So, teacher, where did black people come from? Like they came from outer space. Where did black people come from? 
And you know what I was taught as a little boy? Y'all know exactly what I'm going to say, don't you? That they were the cursed descendants of one of Noah's sons. How evil and wicked. It's, that's not ignorant. That's wicked. To put that in impressionable young minds. And if you think for a moment that any shred of your Christianity supports any racist idea or policy in this nation, you need to get saved. And you need to meet the real Jesus. So watch, here's, your, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Now this is where I said all that to get here. It's about power. Racism is about power. I had a, a, a black pastor friend of mine tell me this two days ago. He said, I've always said it like this. If the black community is racist toward the white community, then it keeps the white community from eating at the black community's table. But if the white community is racist toward the black community, it keeps the black community from eating at their own table. Because one group has power and the other does not. What a way to relaunch after the quarantine. I put this on Facebook. I said, this is what I'm going to preach on. And then I took it down because I wanted you to come. <laughs> so let me say this. and oh, listen, We ain't done talking about this. Okay. I could go on this for hours. So what do we do? It's a problem. It's a problem. You really have three, really have three historical responses to racism. The first one is what they call what is known as the segregationist. Well, the reason there's more black people in prison is just because of their behavior. That's a racist idea. You hear me? That's a racist idea. Well, the reason there's so many black people in poverty is because they don't work as hard and they're not as educated. That's a, that's a racist idea. Yes, Christian, that's a racist idea. You have segregationist. The most extreme form of this is the crazy neo-Nazi all-white guys that try to walk around in, in, in white bed sheets. the segregationist their results the results of their life is because of their behaviors most of us are a little bit more civilized than that so we're not a segregationist we're an, what they call an assimilationist meaning watch that yeah, there's some policies in place that are not necessarily fair, but if they would behave better, they could get past it. Let me translate that. If black people could start acting white, they could have what white people have. That's the softer form of racism. But watch, watch. Y'all listening? If you believe, and I believe, that all groups are equal, that there's not black, white, Hispanic, there's one race, and we're all God's image bearers. If you believe that, listen, if you believe that, if you believe we are all equal, we are all humans created in the image of God, but then we look at the inequality then the only response is, then there is a system in place that has to be attacked. 
Because they're not behaving any differently. Black people are not inferior. Black opportunities are. Y'all ain't used to sitting in church for 40 minutes, are you? Y'all got out of game shape. So that's why, watch, that's why our response is not to be a segregationist. Their problems are their behavior. It's not even to be an assimilationist. Well, we need to fix some things, but they need to do better. Our response is we are called to be anti-racist. Now, listen, listen. I know what you're thinking. Well, I am not racist. I am not racist. That's not enough. That is a neutral position. Well, I just love everybody. That is not enough. You are not called to be not racist. Our church is not called to be not racist. Our church is called to be anti-racist, which means we come against it with everything that we've got. That will change how you pray. That will change how you engage with people. That will change how you interact with people. That will change who your friend group is. Watch me now. That will change how you vote. Ain't getting no hand claps on that one. You know, because as a church, as the church, we vote on one issue. And that one issue is abortion. And we will fight for the unborn. And bless God, it is time to fight for the born. If you think that it is pro-life to be anti-abortion but pro-discrimination, then you don't understand the meaning of pro-life. Pro-life means I am for everything that promotes human flourishing of all people everywhere. We should champion, listen, we should champion against abortion. I'm with you on that. I'm with you. We should, I have stood, I have stood, y'all don't know about this, I've stood at the Supreme Court and we've prayed and we've protested. I've been in, I've been there. But don't say you're pro-life when you're saying no abortion, no abortion, no abortion. Yes, discrimination. Yes, no to prison reform either. No to educational reform. No to abortion, bless God. I'm going to say something, and I don't mean to offend you, but it's the truth. As the white church, we are on your side in the womb, and you're on your own when you get out of it. I have heard it my whole life. We need to stop all these food stamps and welfare. Why don't you help pay for the babies you made everybody birth? We don't need to get political. This is not political. This is justice versus injustice. This is right or wrong. This is the kingdom of God. And we are called to be an anti-racist church. I want us to fight against abortion with all the fire in our belly. And I want us to equally fight against racism and all of its fronts with the same fire in our belly. Can I get an amen from somebody? I was talking to this. I was talking about this. I was talking about this to a white buddy of mine. He's like, this is where I'm going. And he, he feels like, well, if we, the problem with racism is we talk about it too much. That if we just stop it, just drizzle right on past us. You must not be paying very much attention. And this is what he said to me. Y'all heard this? Y'all know? Y'all heard well, I didn't own no slaves. Yeah, I didn't either. Let, let me, are y'all with me? I'm going to give you this. I'm going to let you go. There was a Jewish theologian by the name of Abraham Joshua Heschel. He marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. He said when he's talking about the march, Selma. He said, I felt as I marched, 
it felt as if my feet were praying. And this is the language he used. Because he was a leading voice in the civil rights movement. And he said, people always, people always say, well, I didn't own slaves. I didn't, I didn't support Jim Crow. At the rate we incarcerate black people, that is the new Jim Crow. Selah. There are more black people in prison now than were ever slaves. Numerically and historically speaking. And it's not even on our radar as a white community. Why? It doesn't affect us. Y'all should just start acting like us. And so to my friend, I quoted to him when he said, well, I didn't own no slaves. Bless God, I'm not a racist. This is what Prophet Heschel said. He said, even though few are guilty, all are responsible. And you might not be guilty of hate. But we are all responsible to drive it out of our life forever. Can I get a witness from somebody? Stand up on your feet. Hallelujah. Listen, I, I know, again, again, I, where's Jansen at? Is he in here? Come play some music. Soften the mood. <laughs> Listen, look at me, look at me, look at me. Uh, again, again, listen, my goal was not to offend you. That was, I did not come in here trying to offend you. But if we got offended, good. Because it probably touched something in us that we didn't realize was there and we were unwilling to talk about. There we go. I, didn't try to, I wasn't trying to make you uncomfortable. I'm wanting to rally this church and everybody watching online. We are not not racist. We are anti-racist. We come against it in all of its forms. We come against every shred of inequality in every way that we can. Prayer and everything beyond that. Because your Bible says in Revelation chapter 7 that John is called up to the throne room and he sees every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every race, every ethnicity giving God glory. But there are there are powers that be that are designed for the express purpose of protecting superiority. And if we're going to be pro-life, when I hear the term pro-life, this is how I interpret it. Pro-human flourishing in all of its forms. That means you're pro-education. You're pro-prison reform. You're pro-rethinking incarceration in all, of its way, in all of its ways. You're pro-life, meaning you don't believe in abortion. We're pro-life, but you cannot be pro-life. And not racist. You are pro-life. And anti-racist. And that's who we're called to be. Can I get an amen? So that was point number one. I'm going to give you some more points next week. And if you don't come back for part two. I'll know it. Does it feel good to be back in church together? 
Let me tell you, hey, let me, let me say this too. Let me say this too. I want to commend everybody in here, whatever race you are. I want to commend everybody in here for being able to sit and listen to that. Because it is uncomfortable. Because we, we deeply want to believe. We deeply want to believe there's no way that can be in us. That doesn't make you hateful. Let me, let me say it this way. If every single human being in America got born again today, tomorrow we would wake up and there would still be racism. Because there are systems and institutions in place that are designed to keep it that way. And we are not, listen, I want you to catch this. We are not against people. We are against structures. You hear me? We're against structures. We're against the structure that would allow two men to shoot an 18-year-old black boy and it be crickets for two months until it got put on social media and all hell broke loose and they finally decided, well, we might need to look into this. That is a structure that is evil and that is wicked because if two black men had shot a white kid, it would, he would be arrested before the sun went down and his entire life would be over. Facts. Because there's a structure in place to protect power. And when I say we are anti-racist, we are not anti-people. We are anti-every structure that would oppress and keep under. That's who we are as Jesus Church. I love you so much. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these beautiful people who have a hunger and a thirst for truth. That have a hunger and a thirst to be formed and changed and molded into your image. I ask you, let the strong medicine of your word Get into all of us. And Father, I start with me. Any racist idea. Any, everybody needs to pray that. Any racist idea that I've allowed to get down on the inside of me. I view it as wicked and evil and vile. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you highlight it to me in the name of Jesus. And rip it out of me. Let it be forever gone from me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be some wicked way in me. It is me, O oh God, standing in the need of prayer. So break us. We repent and make us whole. In Jesus' name. And the church shouted hallelujah. We love you so much, Hope Unlimited. We will see you back here next week, 10 a.m. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.